you're thankful to be part of the church, let me hear your hands this morning. We've been talking about having 2020 vision in 2020, and I know that's a cheesy theme, but it captures really what I want to communicate at the beginning of this year. What do we see in the future? Because what we see will dictate how we behave, the direction we take, the way we conduct our lives. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, and we need to see him high and lifted up. Paul said, I saw a man who is in need of ministry, that when you see the Lord high and lifted up, you need to see the needs of people around you. Then Daniel said, I saw the future, and I hope you remember what Daniel saw when he saw the future. He saw the Ancient of Days. Come on, somebody. He saw the Ancient of Days on the throne and Jesus coming back. Ezekiel said, I saw a valley full of dead men's bones, and God by his Spirit made those dead bones live. Whatever valley you're facing, as long as God is alive... There's resurrection power available in your valley of dead bones. And this morning, we're going to go to the last book in the Bible, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. And John, the beloved, said, I saw the church. I saw the church. I have one goal this morning. That goal is to change our vision of the church and what the church is. Too often, I think, when I say church, we think of building, we think of Berean, we think of programs and ministries and people that we interact with. And the church is much more than that. The church of Jesus Christ are all of those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior, are washed in the blood, and are company that we call the church. When we see the church high and lifted up, here's what will happen, or not high and lifted up, see it in the place that God places it, seated in heavenly places, here's what will happen. The church no longer becomes an add-on, but becomes our operating system. It's not just something that we attach to what we're doing. For too many believers, church is about participating when it's convenient. It's about what I get from it, how it meets my needs. And so when it's convenient, we attach to it because we don't really see the church for what it truly is in Scripture. I want to try to recapture that this morning in the way that John saw the church. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible, chapter 1. And watch what happens here. John is seeing the glorified Christ. And he's going to tell us what has, what has been, what is, and what will come. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ as he demonstrates for us God's fulfillment of his redemptive plan for the world. And what we see in Revelation is not the humble Jesus in human flesh. We don't see the suffering Savior hanging on the cross. And we see more than the resurrected Savior that they saw after he came out of the tomb. We see the glorified Christ. And it is an awe-inspiring vision of Jesus. In verse 12 in chapter 1... John said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. I want you to try to picture this. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." That's a vision of Jesus that doesn't invite you to hug him. <laughs> it's a vision of Jesus 
that forces you to humble yourself and bow before him in adoration. This is for the church the most important revelation that we have. What is God's plan for the end? And here's what I want you to see. When Jesus reveals himself in this glorious manner, there are only two things that he brings with him. How many of you think at that moment what he brings with him is important? How many of you ever did show and tell in school? Any of you? How many of you went to school? How many of you know what a school is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For some, that was a wonderful time. When it was your turn to do show and tell, you would bring the most important thing that you had to show the class. And you wanted them to be impressed. Now, I'm not liking this to your kindergarten show and tell. But this is a revelation of Jesus in his glory. And he's going to show us two other entities with him that are going to be primary and vitally important to the unfolding of the eschatological redemptive plan of God for the end of the age. What are those two things? It's a golden candlestick and stars in his hand. Don't you think that if the glorified Christ reveals himself in that way, that the two instruments that he brings with him deserve our attention, our honor, and our respect? The lampstands are the church. The church is not an entity to get you to heaven. It is a primary organism that will be instrumental in God's plan for the fulfillment of his redemptive purposes. It's bigger than Berean's budget. It's bigger than Berean's ministries. It's bigger than church attendance. It's bigger than your needs being met. That God has a plan for the church that's being played out on an eternal platform, being viewed not only by the heavenly hosts and the hordes of hell, but by the saints of all ages, all of God's creating being, watching what God is going to do through the church. We need to see it bigger than our Sunday, Wednesday schedule. How many are hearing me now? We've got to see it bigger than that. Because it is the church and the angels of the churches that he brings to the forefront for us to see. I, I don't feel like I'm hitting this the way that I should. I just want you to open your heart and let the Spirit of God show you how big this thing is and how important this thing is, the church. Because when you see that, it'll affect everything you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It won't be about, should I go this morning? Should I go Wednesday? It'll be about living your life as part of his glorious church. Making a difference in this world. What does he show us? What does this vision tell us about the church? The first thing that it tells us is that the church is a lampstand. Now that is incredibly significant to understand the church as a lampstand. And when you go back in scripture, you've got to look at how the lampstand gets used in other contexts. And there's some really important ways that the lampstand gets used. The first place we really discover the lampstand is in the holy place, in Old Testament worship. And I don't have time to unpack this for you, but don't for a minute think that because we're New Testament believers, we don't need Old Testament truth. Everything that we experience in the New Testament rests on Old Testament definition and foundation. And if you want to understand what the New Testament means, you have to understand it in an Old Testament context. What is the definition of those terms. And when you understand Old Testament worship, I wish I had time to unpack the old tabernacle temple structure, but the tabernacle had an outer court where worship took place and washing and sacrifices all happened. And then inside that was a place called the holy place in the holy of holies. In the holy of holies behind the veil was the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant. That's where the high priest only went once a year. 
Tradition tells us that they tied a rope around the ankle of the high priest when he would go in to offer blood on the mercy seat so that if he didn't go in rightly and God killed him, they could drag the dead body out of there. How would you like to go into that meeting? I'm going to meet with a board, tie a rope around my ankle in case I die in there. You can drag me out. There, there was holiness around all of that. But the worship in front of that was called the holy place. And there were three articles of worship in there. There was a table of showbread, the bread of faces, that represented God's ministry to the needs of the people of the nation. And then there was the altar of incense that offered up the praises and worship of the nation before God. And on the left side of the holy place was the candlestick, the golden candlestick whose purpose was to give light inside the holy place. So Jesus didn't say, watch this, he didn't say that we're the table of showbread to meet the needs of the world. He didn't say that we're the source of the altar of incense. When he brings us into that eschatological revelation, he shows us as the candlestick. What does that mean? That we are the light of the world. We're the light of worship. We're the place where Jesus' work and ministry and purposes all is revealed. Without the candlestick, there is no light in worship. And so when we talk about our role in this world, you have to see us more than just the light of the world doing good deeds. But in relationship to God, here's what that means. There's no light of worship without us. You can't just do your own thing and be right with God. You can't be right with the head and wrong with the body. Because the place where light is shining to give illumination to worship and the purposes and plans of God is by the candlestick that we weren't intended to walk this alone. We weren't intended to figure out our own way that corporately there's a place of illumination and light that doesn't happen any other place. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. But have you ever had this experience where before you gathered with believers, you were confused not sure what to do, which way to go. But those moments in corporate worship, when the Spirit of God moves into a room, and it's almost as though the darkness parts and light comes to you. How many, anybody ever have that experience? I believe every time we gather that God has a word for you personally, but also believe he has a word for us corporately. And one of the things we have to learn to develop as Pentecostal worshipers is how to hear the voice of God. He has a word for you this morning, but he has a word for this body this morning that will bring light to what we're to do. It will bring light to your life and a light to everything that's involved in worship. The mark of the church in the book of Acts when they had difficulty what did they say as they prayed about it, sought it together? They didn't form their committees and bring back their reports. They stayed together and they worshiped God together and they sought God together, came to a conclusion and made this wonderful statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. <laughs> I don't know if you know how powerful that is. Wouldn't it be wonderful after every business meeting to walk out saying, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. After every worship service to say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We know. Don't we know what seems good to us? Don't we know what seems good to us? Don't we know what, I don't know where everybody went. The place went empty. We know what, you already know what seems good to you. You bring your bias into church. You bring your direction in. And what happens Well, it's too warm or it's too cold or it's, coffee's not right or there's something we know what's good to us what matters is what seems good to the holy ghost and then aligning what seems good to us with what seems good to the holy spirit because we are the light of worship not just the light of the world we're the light of worship when i saw that something exploded on the inside of me that yes we are a body i hesitate to say this i really hesitate to say this for fear of being misunderstood. But Catholic tradition <laughs> teaches that the scripture cannot be understood apart from the traditions of the Holy Roman Church. 
they almost got it right. It's not the traditions. It's the spirit of God revealed through the church. You will never arrive at a place of Holy Spirit enlightenment without the candlestick. Somebody help me this morning. Your enlightenment comes as we gather together. Let me press this a little bit further. When you get discouraged, what is your tendency to stay home or come to church? I'm going to say when I'm discouraged, I want to stay home. Oh, nobody? Huh. That's amazing. I would not recognize that when I look at attendance. (laughs) We pull back. We withdraw. When the revelation that God wants for us happens, as we gather together, we are the place of light. In fact, it goes even further there when in his right hand he holds the seven stars and coming out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword which would liken to the sword of the spirit shining in all its brilliance. We are the light of worship as we gather together. You can expect God to reveal mysteries to you when we worship him together. Well, that obviously blessed me more than it did you. Think about the lampstand in Jesus' parables. He talks about it a lot. He talks about the places that we hide our light. And if I had time, I'd unpack that. Why we put it under a vessel. Why we put it under a bushel. My favorite one is when they put it under their bed. Can you imagine putting a lit candle under your bed? I think that's the best place some people ought to put their candle. (laughs) It'll get you out of bed in a hurry. But it's not designed for that. Because in addition to being the light of worship, we are the light of the world. Where do you put the light? On a candlestick. Where does the world want us to put it? Under our bushel, in our church, out of sight. We need to quit worrying about what the world thinks about the church and how often they mock the church. I, I, again, I don't want to get political, but you know what happens when you're quiet. I start meddling a little bit. But people are shocked, and I haven't researched this. I've just read that source of wisdom, Facebook, (laughs) about a supposed pro-life ad that is not going to be run, and we're shocked. Why would you be shocked by that? That's not a Christian organization, and the world is against what we believe and do. We are the light of the world, not the NFL. We are the light of the world, not ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox. We are the light of the world, not MSNBC. Are you hearing me? We are the light of the world, and the quieter they are, the louder we ought to be. Let's get our light on the candlestick and let it shine. We are the light of the world, and the louder the world gets, the brighter our light needs to shine. Oh, I'm shocked. Why are you shocked? that the world acts like the world? Why are you shocked when a snake acts like a snake? Why are you shocked when the devil acts like the devil? I get shocked sometimes when the church starts to act like the church. Let's let our light shine. We are the light of the world. It's to be seen that men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. What is it that this end time revelation is trying to proclaim? That we need to be the light of of worship. What happens here needs to be done in spirit and in truth. It needs to be done in a way that honors God and is in harmony with the word of God. That's why there's not room for heresy or excess. We've got to be the light of worship and we've got to be the light of the world. And all that comes together, I think, when we see the lampstand in the book of Zechariah. It's a powerful, powerful picture. I don't have time to go into all the imagery here, but let me just read it to you. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from sleep. So an angel awakened Zechariah and says, what do you see? He said, I see a solid gold lampstand. Have you seen that before? Just read that in Revelation, a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, the other on its left. And I asked the angel who talked to me, what are these, Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? 
No, my Lord, I replied. Now, I'm going to pause there. I want to give you a secret, secret to understanding prophecy. When, when, <laughs> when a question is asked in prophecy and the answer is given, seek no other. You don't need to go looking when the answer is there. Well, what about this? What about that? What is the point of that revelation? And here's what the angel says. When you see the golden lampstand and the flame and the oil, what is it you should understand? This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, <laughs> but by my spirit, says the Lord. What is the golden lampstand? It's a place where what cannot be accomplished by might and what cannot be accomplished by power is accomplished by the Spirit of God. What should mark the end time church? Things happen here that can't happen any other place because it's not by counseling, it's not by therapy, it's not by doctors, it's not by man's power. As important and valuable as all of those are, the church ought to be able to say, what hasn't been able to be done by human might or human power has happened when the golden lampstand begins to operate in the authority and power of the Spirit of God. Do you know what happens? When you can't make a marriage work by therapy, I can tell you you can make it work if the Spirit of God gets a hold of both of those people and softens their heart and knits them back together. Problems that you have that you can't solve any other way. God, I've tried it. We've put our shoulder to the wheel. We've given our best effort. We've worked as hard as we can. Just remember, church, you're part of the golden lampstand, and it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the church needs to be in a place that we can testify to the world and say, come to the lampstand, and you'll see things that can't happen any other place. Woo! Good preaching, pastor. That's what happens. If you don't help me, I'll encourage myself. <laughs> Are you hearing me this morning? What is the golden lampstand? It's the place where the Spirit of God does the supernatural. It's the place where miracles happen. I want to create in you a hunger that we're not satisfied with being a good church. I'm doing a study right now about the difference, as I mentioned, the annual business meeting between a successful church and a healthy church. And I think you can be both. I think you can be both but the standards are different. I don't necessarily just want to be popular in the community. We ought to be powerful in the community. <laughs> we ought to be powerful in the community where God is changing lives and putting broken lives back together. The lampstand is nothing without the oil. How many of you have one of those old oil lamps? Just not seven, but an old oil lamp. What happens when the oil runs out? It smokes and stinks and messes up the place. We call that normal church. <laughs> but when the church is saturated with the oil, and it is trimmed and set right in the holder, it gives light to the entire room. That's who we ought to be by the power of God. Is there anybody in the house this morning? I feel like I'm the only one having church today. You got to help me here a little bit. I'm saying to you that we are the lampstand. Can you see that? That's bigger than just coming to a service or volunteering to serve. We're part of God's end time plan. And it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's what he's showing when he holds up the lampstand. Then he tells us that the lampstand is made of gold. The church is made of gold. Gold is a symbol of deity made in the image of God, crafted from a single piece. Our source, our core, our heart all comes from Christ. And we are one piece in him marked by the image of God. I remember 
some years ago. We were planning, seeking God for the future of the church we were pastoring then. And when we still had Sunday night services that people came to, how many remember those? Anybody those days? Yeah, people came to. Um, one Sunday night, I asked everyone who had been there less than five years to stand. And they did. It was smaller crowds Sunday night. And I said, I want to talk to you for a little bit. I, I said, I really, I want to know why after you came the first time, did you keep coming? Why did you keep coming? I was pretty confident it was the preaching. <laughs> or the choir. I mean, the choir. We had a great choir, great vocalist. Maybe it was our follow-up plan or the coffee in the lobby just, you know, made you want to be there. Not one mentioned the preaching, not one mentioned the worship, not one mentioned the choir, not one mentioned the extras. Here's what every one of them said. The first time I came, God touched my heart and I had to come back. If we are not marked by the image of God, we have no reason to gather. We're not made of bronze. We're not made of silver. We're not made of tin. We're not made of iron or steel or wood or gems. We're made of gold. It ought to be that we are marked by the presence of God. That's why it is so dangerous to go to manifestations. We ought to be the manifestation of God, the place that emanates and reflects the nature and character of God. We have to handle our business rightly. We need to dwell together in unity. That's why how we behave matters so much because we are, we are made of gold. Gold is also a symbol in scripture of purified faith. Listen to what he says to Laodicea. And I'm gonna come back to that. But listen to what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve be put on your eyes so that you can see that it's a symbol of purified faith. We think we're okay because our natural circumstances are positive. We have success. We must be doing okay. And he says, you don't even know who you are because you're not healthy until you're marked by a purified faith. Ask me to give that to you. Well, how does that come? Well, First Peter says it this way, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The church is made of gold. So let me just talk to you a little bit about the trial. How many of you in the last hundred years have had a trial? I'm still looking for that question that gets immediate unanimous response. How many of you have ever had a trial in your life? Hold up your neighbor's hand, all right? And how many of you in the tri trial have asked God, why do I have to go through this? Here's why you're going through it. He's making you into gold. And the only way to be made into gold, I, here's how I want to be made into gold. I want him to give me gold. <laughs> Just give it to me and I'll wear it. I'll, I'll become it. Tell me how to act like it. I, I want gold to come and bless my life. I want it to be about me and benefiting me. Anybody else in the house? Yeah, I want it to be, I'm, just give it to me. Doesn't come that way. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you a dangerous question. How many of you are perfect? Okay, how many of you know the people who just raised their hand aren't perfect? Let me raise, we had a few of them around. Okay, we, we get that, we get that. And how many of you want to be more like Jesus? <laughs> I'm not raising my hand. I do, but how does that happen? How does it happen? It happens by going into the fire. I don't like that. I don't like that. It's, it's like the guy that wrote the book. 
You know, I, I, I want patience and I want it right now. Don't ever ask for God to give you patience. Don't ask him to make you gold. It comes through the fire. Ask him to help you find that way and submit to the testing. And I, I know all the stories about how you know it's pure when you see the image of the maker and all of that. Let me just focus on the fire. It's purifying your life because that end time church isn't going to be marked by lazy Christians or half-hearted Christians or Christians who are playing church a little bit. It's going to be filled with people who have been put through the fire, who look like the God who redeemed them and have had their faith turned to gold. And when I've gone through the fire, I've come through it on the other side with a greater confidence in him than I had before. The trial of your faith purifies your faith. And then the gold is also a symbol of eternal reward. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ when all of our works will be tried. And we say that there'll be no tears in heaven. That's not true. Read the Bible. He'll wipe your tears away. He can't wipe away things that aren't there. There will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. Because your works will be tried. Not your faith. You're there because you had faith. But believers will be tried for their works of what sort it is. And all that will remain will be gold, silver, and precious stones. The wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. Only that that looks like him will last. And so this gold is the mark of God. It's a purified faith that endures in the day of judgment. That is a high calling that we have to give our hearts to. Third, the church is assigned a star. Now, I'm just going to be transparently honest here for a little bit. Is that all right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. As opposed to other weeks, is that what that meant? <laughs> I would like to use this in the secular context and say to you this morning, Okay, I'm playing the role of a fool right now, okay? I just need you to know that. But I'd like to stand up here and say, do you know the Bible says I'm a star? You need to respect me as one. In fact, I think we should put concrete out in front of the church where I can put my handprints. <laughs> and I grew up in an era where it was kind of like that. You don't touch the pastor because touch not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm. Don't cut off the edge of his garment. You know, we had all these protections because I am somebody. You need to reread the text. There's a different emphasis placed here. That God, here's what you have to understand about leadership in a church that's healthy. Leadership there isn't, and please don't misunderstand me, isn't elected by a body, it's appointed by God and affirmed by the body so that they say it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. And the star is the ruling elder or the bishop, the pastor of the local church. How do you know that? Because when you read the context, if it were an angel in the sense of angelic beings, he wouldn't have to write them a letter. They're right there. And... The word angel is used of men in a few contexts in Scripture, and the word means messenger. So the messenger of the church, right. And I want you to see that the picture, he wanted us to get the picture, that he holds the stars in his hand. I feel like breaking out into song. He's got the whole world. He's got the pastor and his family, you know, whatever. In his hand. What does that mean? Well, if you continue to read, what he is saying about the pastor can be said by application to anyone in leadership. It is a scary thing when you understand the responsibilities of leadership that God wants you to be in leadership, but sometimes we strive to get a position without understanding the responsibility that goes with a position. We have to understand what that looks like. And you know what happens when you're in his hand? He's looking right at you. And there's nothing you can hide from him. And he's going to talk directly to you. Now let me show this to you in a different kind of way. I haven't had time this week to really test the theory that I, or the um, exegesis I'm going to present here. 
So I'm going to test it on you. And so keep those cards and letters coming <laughs> on whether or not you agree. All of my life, I've read Revelation 2 and 3 this way, that he wrote to the churches in Asia. Everything I've read, everything I've been taught is that these were letters to the church in Asia. Can we revisit that for a moment? Are you all right? How many understand what I'm talking about? Like it's a letter to the church. Here's what he said to the church in Sardis. Here's what he, well, let's look at chapter two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. Who's it written to? The church or the angel? To the angel of the church, right. So if someone sent me a check and said, give this to the pastor of the church of Berean, I'm not giving it to you. How many are hearing what I'm saying? It was to me. To the angel of the church, right. I know your works. I felt like God gave me an insight here that I've never had before about leadership. Here's what leaders want to do. Here's what I'd like to do. When God speaks to me, it's a temptation of leaders to blame it on followers. If I just had a better class, if I just had better kids, if I just had a easier job. This isn't a letter to the church. It's a letter to the leader. When you're in his hand, he's going to talk directly to you about what needs to change in you, count on it, and get ready for it. That's the mark of leadership. How close are you in proximity to the glorified Christ? Are you letting him talk to you about what needs to change in you that churches will only arise to the level of leadership? And I know you're thinking, Pastor, I'm so glad this is about you. No, it's about all of us because anyone in leadership needs to be in his hand and responsive to the voice that he has for you. And he says, I works. I know what's happening in your life. I know, Pastor, you've left your first love. I know, nursery worker, you've left your first love. I know, Sunday school teacher, you left your first love. And so the change has to happen with those of us that are in leadership. Board members, I know you've left your first love. He's talking to leaders. You need to change. Because we're responsible, we produce I'm going to mess with you now a little bit because I don't know this is sinking in. But husbands, if your wife has become, <laughs> oh, I'm scared to even say this. This is an illustration, not an accusation. If your wife has become a grouchy old woman, you as the head of the house are going to be talked to by God for what you're producing in her. Now she's still responsible because she'll give an account to God. She's not gonna get off. But I'm saying to you, anytime you're in a leadership role, whatever that is, you're gonna be in his hand and he's gonna talk to you. Don't pass it off. Someone has said in church, the most dangerous place to sit is in the back row. Why? Because when the word of God comes out and the spirit of God begins to deal, the first row says, not for me, and throws it over their shoulder. And by the time it gets to the back row, it's an avalanche. You're going to die back there if everybody keeps throwing it over their shoulders. Because we all want to pass it off and blame it on someone else. But those who are going to be in leadership in his church are going to say, talk to me, Jesus. <laughs> talk to me. Don't, listen, don't show me what's wrong with them. Show me what needs to grow in me. That's the heart of a leader. Show me what needs to grow in me. They're in his hand. He's talking to them. And as he talks to them, he says 
to each of the stars, here's what I see in you, and then you'll find as you read it, and to the others I say, or to the rest I say, or to this group I say, he has words to say to the rest of the church, and then at the end he gives a message to that church, here's where you are, here's how you need to grow, and here's the message I want you to proclaim. If every leader at Berean said, Jesus, I see myself in your hand, talk to me. And give me a message to proclaim. This thing would explode. Are you hearing me? This thing would explode. That's the healthy dynamic that his revelation church will have. It's not saying, huh, I'm in Jesus' right hand. Where are you? I'm on the A list. Are you on the B list? Not at all. It's understanding that there is a higher accountability. James says, don't plan to be a teacher because we'll reap the greater condemnation, the higher judgment. This picture of saying in leadership, those who want to rise to say, how can you you hide who you are from the person that's holding you in their hand? Up close and personal. And then once he's dealt with you, He'll give you a message for your generation. The church is assigned a star, held in his right hand, a place of authority and accountability. But leadership doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens out of relationship. And I I heard it said that all ministry happens out of relationship. And I felt like God just worked me over this morning. I do believe that healthy relation, healthy ministry in this body will come out of relationship with one another. I do believe that. But I think there's a part of that that we missed. All ministry comes out of relationship with him first and then with you, with him first and then with others, hearing him and interacting with him. And if he's not talking to us, we've got nothing to say to the world. We've got not a message for them to hear. And with that comes an accountability. So how do you see the church? Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Please. (laughs) How do we see the church? It's critical. If we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in 2020, we need to see the church more than a religious place we come for faith training. We have to see it as key to God's end time plan and find our place in that, that there's nowhere that we're not the church. There's, it's, it's not about should I participate or not, it's about who I am or who I'm not. And to see that when he revealed himself as the glorified Christ, he held up the church and he held up his leaders. And he said this, this is what will bring my end time plan to pass. Do you know where he is right now? I skipped over that because it's my favorite part. Do you know where he is right now? He walks amidst the candlestick. Do you know where he is right now? He's not up there looking down. He's been here all along. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. And he's walking around saying, Jim, I've got a word for you today. I've got something that you need to hear. I want to talk to you. He's walking between the seats. He's walking among the chairs. He's got a word for everyone in this place. He's saying, I've got something to say to you. I've got something I want to pour into you today. I need you to hear me. He's walking right here, and he has something to say to us corporately. But where is he? He's not up there looking down. He's been walking among the chairs. He walks in the midst of the candlesticks. Where is the end time glorified Christ? He's right here among us. And we have to see him that way again.
was a time when the church gathered together expecting to see the supernatural and the glory. Now we expect to get good coffee and a handshake and go home. I'm saying we've got to have more than that. We've got to have the sense of the divine, the sense of the holy, the sense of the glorified Christ. Jesus, let us see your church like that. And then everything changes. It won't be about giving an offering to feed the ministries. It'll be about supporting his end time plan that nobody else is going to pay for. You know what I've thought? How much I could do for the kingdom with the cost of one Super Bowl ad. <laughs> but I've come to the conclusion after yay this many years that the NFL and the, the, the networks aren't going to give that to us. We can't expect the devil to pay for God's kingdom, which means then we have to see our investment as being primary. Don't worry, I'm not going to take an offering. Some of you are grabbing your wallet already. I'm saying it's about everything I am, everything I have, bringing to pass his end time plan. That's who we are. Revelation chapter 1 starts with him and us. And we see that as we go into 2020. Everything changes. Here's what I ask you to do as Pastor Nathan leads us in a moment. I want you to stand. And I want to end this way. I just want you to ask Jesus to give you a vision of his church. Would you... Just ask him to give you a vision of his church. God, let me see your church the way you see it. Just ask him, just in worship, ask him that right now. Lift your hands, those of you that will, just lift your hands and ask him, God, let me see your church the way that you see it. Let us see, let us see the church as the candlestick of your glory and presence. Who am I that the highest would lost but he brought me in oh his love for me oh his love
I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for this single focus that 2020 at Berean will be marked by events in God that will be described this way. That could not have been done by might. That could not have been done by power. It was done by the Spirit of God. That we would have moments when we would declare power had given up, might had failed, and that God came by. And what's happening at Berean Church can only be attributed to the Spirit of God. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. How many will join me praying that for 2020? Amen. But that will be our heart cry, which means we will see ourselves in His hand. You say, well, I'm not a leader. Oh, yes, you are. Somebody's following in your steps. Someone's following in your steps. And we need to be Jesus, I ask right now that you would help us see the church the way you see the church, that we would have clear vision over this entity, your body, in this world, and that we would be that candlestick through which your oil flows, and we'd be able to testify the truth of Zechariah's promise, not by might, not by power but by your spirit, says the Lord. And everyone in agreement said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Greet someone. Be an encouragement to someone this morning.